Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Excited for church, come on. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong, so I'm going to be doing the slides. I'm going to have never done that before, so help me. Uh, it's one of those Sundays. I just need you to raise your right hand. It's one of those Sundays. Come on, get ready. Repeat after me. I would rather, I would rather my, pastor, my pastor tell me the truth, truth. than tell me what I want to hear because I'm not a baby. Oh, shots fired. Let me pray because we got a good sermon. Ready? Let me just pray real quick. God, thank you so much for your spirit being here. We don't need a a camera. We don't need screens. We need your spirit, Jesus. Uh, God, you are still a miracle-working God. May our hope never be in technology. May it never be in LED walls and speakers, God. May it be in your spirit and in your word. God, we, we need you, your presence more than ever before. And if you believe that, everybody said, everybody said, amen. I need a show of hands. Any parents in the room? Come on, parents. Okay, keep your hands up. Any parents with more than two kids? Come on. Okay, pray for these people. They, they have anxiety. Come on. Uh, my life changed a lot when we had one kid, but it became unmanageable after the second one. Because uh, one, you could just give them melatonin, you can give them a little bit of extra milk, and you can get like 15 minutes, maybe half an hour on a good day, veg out in front of the TV with your iPhone in front of your hands. When you got two kids, though, you put one down and the other one wants your attention. And our life, I would say my life, dramatically changed when we had number two. Primarily because my wife could not nurse number two. And so I was the one that woke up at 2 a.m. I was the one that woke up at 4 a.m. I want some sympathy. I was the one that woke up at 6 a.m. And so there was this attachment to the baby that like was almost, I was unexpected. Like the other daughter doesn't want me. The, the youngest one Dada everything. I've been hearing this verbal abuse for three years now. Please pray for me. During COVID, 5 a.m., dad, dad. And I'm like, honey, I'm ex- please, I'll, I will buy you a Gucci, but please. She would go in the room, no, dada. And she would send my mom or my wife out, and I'd have to go back in. Hey, fast forward another year. My daughter can now speak. She's like, dad, I'm hungry. I'm like, honey, Mom is making dinner. No, no, no. I'm not hungry for dinner. I'm hungry for a snack. And, and now, that, praise God, we don't have, we have no diapers in our house. Why? Because my dog, come on, huge, huge. That's why I don't have a dog. I, I don't want to clean someone else's, you know what? But what happens is three years of dada has not stopped. Now my three-year-old is behind the door screaming my name, dad, honey. I think you want mom. No, dad. And, and, and the point I'm trying to make is my daughter's two. It, there's a TV show on MTV called Jersey Shore, and they, they have this acronym, Jim Tan Laundry, G-T-L. My daughter's three. She has an acronym, ESP, eat, sleep, and poo. And when kids act like babies, it's cute. But the point I'm trying to make is when adults act like babies, it ain't cute. It is not cute at all. And that is the context of today's scripture. So 
it's actually me, so I got to go there. But I want to show you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Let me give you some context for those of you that are new to church. We are going through the book of 1 Corinthians through a collection of talks called Christians Gone Wild. Why? Because you need the whole Bible to make a whole Christian. Twice a year, we go through the book of the Bible, not verse by verse, but we just pick topics that I think our church, <clears throat> right in the stomach, they need. And this is one of those sermons. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he, he is this church planner. He goes to different cities, and he plants churches. What is Corinth known for? Let me tell you, in every city, every major city in America, it has this reputation. D.C. is known for politics. L.A. is known for media and Hollywood. Silicon Valley is known for what? Tech. Tech. Everyone knew. New York is the financial district. Corinth is the sex capital of the world. When you wanted to have sex with, like, anyone, you went to this city. This city has a a, a temple of Aphrodite, which is the god of love, that had, on an average day, a thousand temple prostitutes. Crazy. In our culture... After a long week at work, what do we do? We, we go to happy hour, eat nachos, hang out with friends. In that culture, what you do after a long day at work, you would go to the, the temple and, and have sex with a prostitute. In our culture, you invite three or four couples over, you eat dinner, maybe you play charades or you watch a, a Star Wars movie or something. I don't know, something. Maybe Stranger Things, you hang out. In that culture, you'd invite couples over for dinner, and then at the end of the night, everyone would get naked and there'd be a 10-person orgy. That was common. Corinth, listen, wasn't just a noun. It was a verb. Oh, you're a Corinthian. Oh, you're behaving like a Corinthian. It was this idea that, like, you were sexually promiscuous. And imagine in a culture where it's, like, 99.99% unsaved, unchristian. For those of you that are new, Silicon Valley is the most unchurched region in the whole country, 98%. There are some scholars say that less than 300 Christians in the city of 300,000. That's one thousandth of a percent for those of you that went to public school. And imagine the Spirit of God is falling on this city, and people are coming out of this lifestyle. It's amazing, this beautiful work of God. But the problem is that Corinth was getting in the church more than the church was getting in Corinth. So imagine these Christians coming to church, and they had happy hour, Corinthian style. They would have Dinner parties, Corinthian style. And there was this, in every chapter of this book, Paul is correcting this wrong behavior. In one of the chapters, he's like, guys, I love you. Thank you for coming to church an hour early. Why, Pastor Ali? To pray and fast? No. To get drunk on communion. How many It's crazy. There's the one guy in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. He's actually sleeping with his stepmom. Oh, I just puked. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's another guy. It's constant craziness in this book. And Paul is trying to speak to them and saying, you know what your problem is? You're acting like a bunch of babies. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants. Someone say infants, a.k.a. babies in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. The point that Paul is trying to make is that the problem underneath all of your problems. You just need to grow up. You just need to grow up. Let me show you a picture of what I mean by this. This is my 18-month-old Zoe, Sophia. She is, she has a, she's not like wearing padding, it's a diaper full of water. 
Girls, a fish loves it. This is cute. On the count of three, everyone say one, two, three. Say ah. One, two, three. Ah, of course. It's cute. She's like, how can you not like that? Let me show you what's not cute. This is not cute. No, keep laughing. This is why I'm in counseling. Is that a 40-year-old wearing a onesie? Yes. Listen, let me tell you why that's not cute. Because babies, when they eat, when they poo, when they sleep, when they contribute nothing and they mooch off mom and dad, that's cute. Because they're two. But imagine a 40-year-old. Imagine my daughter in college. She's 22. Dad, what are you doing this afternoon? Why, honey? I love you. What, What do you want? I need someone to do my laundry. I need someone to cook. Dad, I'm in the bathroom. Could you come? How, how awkward would that be, right? See, when babies act like babies, it's cute. But when adults act like babies, it's not cute. And that's the tone. Paul's like, man, I, I want to treat you like adults. I want to speak to you like someone who's mature, but you're not. And you should be more mature by this point. See, the first book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes this letter to this church four years after he starts it. We're four years old as well. If I can prophetically say we should be a lot more mature than we are. Obviously, we were two years old when the pandemic hit, then we spent 60 weeks online, then we spent the last 18 months at 5 o'clock in this room that feels like hell, if I could be honest. We don't need to preach on hell, you just feel it in this room. And and the tone that Paul makes in this, he's he's very like in your face. He's very direct, and because he wants something for you. He wants to encourage you. There's more that God has for you. The title of my sermon today is this, Don't Be a Baby. Turn to your neighbor and say, don't be a baby. Turn to the other neighbor, the one you forsaked in church, and say, don't be a baby. My tone in this sermon is going to be a little like in your face. I'm not coming at you. I'm coming for you. I have something for you. And, And really the principle behind this is this. Maturity brings blessings. Immaturity brings curses. Maturity brings blessings. Immaturity brings curses. And if, I, if there's one thing that I've seen over and over again for the last 10 years is, man, there are so many people in this room that are so gifted, so talented. God has so much for you. And yet so many of you don't walk in it, not because God is withholding, because your lack of character can't hold what God has for you. Wow. People in our culture will complain, oh my gosh, we have a morality problem. No, we do not. Underneath the problem, every sin underneath the sin. The problem beneath the problem. The fruit may be a lack of morality, but the real problem is a lack of maturity. I wrote it down like this. In our culture, we don't teach things like personal responsibility. We don't teach things like how to have boundaries with your parents and in other relationships. We don't teach how to have a victor mindset versus a victim mindset. And so, so many people in our culture, they, they say, it's okay, just spend what you want. You don't need to save. Buy it now, which is why the average American has nine grand in credit card debt. In our culture, we don't understand maturity. This is why immature people, they don't think about how their actions affect other people, and they live all of their life in relational chaos. Their relationship with their parents is broken. Their relationship with their coworkers is broken. Their relationship with their friends is broken. And instead of trying to heal them, they just move churches or they move cities to start all over. Where if immature people, they don't understand boundaries, and their priorities are out of order. So if they ever get a family, their family's jacked up. And last thing, immature people, they don't understand personal responsibility. They live under this weight of, oh my gosh, everyone's against me, this victim mentality. But mature people understand life doesn't work like that. 
mature people understand, you got to get a good job, succeed at work, they have financial stability, they have healthy families, emotionally healthy relationships, because they live with a high personal responsibility. They don't live with a victim mentality, they live with a victor mentality, amen? See, God has two paths in front of you, one of spiritual immaturity and one of spiritual maturity, and he lets you pick. God has a plan to bless your life. Satan has a plan to curse your life, but you get to pick the path that you want. There's one thing I have for all of you who call this church home. I want spiritual maturity for you. And there are three things on how to be a mature Christian. Regularly eat God's word, participate in groups, and serve on a team and give financially. And let me tell you why this is so important. Uh, often, the last 10 years of pastoring, I would often beat around the bush. I would, I would always like shy away from like controversial subjects. I'd always like say things in the nicest way that I could. And I realized soft words produce soft people. Hard words, though, produce hard people, soft people. So sometimes when I come hard, it's, it's not because I'm trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. And when I baby you, you're going to become a baby. And I'm not here as a politician. I'm not here like trying to win political votes. I'm going to say some things this afternoon that are going to challenge you. They're going to make you uncomfortable. It's going to feel like I'm in your face. And often we don't have the spiritual maturity to understand I am trying to fight for you. I have something for you. And let me show you what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, I could not address you as spiritual. Someone say spiritual. You who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Someone say worldly. Mere infants in Christ. Paul is making this crazy distinction that there are some of you in the house of God. You're saved. You have a new identity in Christ. The Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You are a completely brand new person, but your taste buds, your values are still worldly. So when the Word of God is preached, even though it's a good thing, you're like, mm, I don't like that. Oh my gosh, my pastor's so like, mm. It's like, what? Why, why do you have like fizz face? Like, this is church. Let me give you a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Ten years ago, I was a youth pastor, and there was one kid in my youth group that God really put on my heart. This guy was in pharmaceutical sales, if you know what I'm talking about. He was an 18-year-old. He was, he was dealing weed, and all summer long, I prayed for this guy, I fasted for this guy, Took him on a mission trip with me, even though he wasn't Christian. By the end of the summer, this 17-year-old punk drug dealer in pharmaceutical sales praised the sinner's prayer. Miracle. Three weeks later, he knocks on my door, angry. Pastor Ali, I'm upset with you. You tricked me. What did you do? I'm like, bro, it's Friday night at 10 o'clock, and you're at my house unannounced, not even telling me why. He's like... I can't do it anymore. I'm like, do what? He's like, I can't deal. I'm like, what happened? He's like, every time I try to deal, I feel guilty. I feel like this, I shouldn't be doing this. And I just start laughing. Ha, 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 ha. He's like, what? I'm like, you have the Holy Spirit. Good luck with that, bro. He's like, get it out. I'm like, I can't. That's the point. He gives you new desires. He gives you new dreams, new wants, new longings. And so often we don't realize, I'm not making you feel anything. It's the Spirit of God in you saying, don't do that. Don't do that. I have something more for you. This is what Paul is saying. You're spiritual. You're born again. The Spirit of God is living in you. But you have worldly taste buds. You're like that 17-year-old dude complaining about the thing that God has for you. 
So can I go one step further? Are you ready? What God wants to do, number one, is regularly eat God's word. And I use the analogy eat. Someone say eat. If I get the parents who raise their hand, if I get you to raise your hand, I need verbal, audible, like affirmation of this biblical, it's not in the Bible, but it's biblical truth. Kids are too picky towards good food and not picky enough towards bad food. Come on. I think I've thrown away more food in the last year than my kids have eaten in the last year. Why? Because my six-year-old, every year, she gets more and more and more picky. In the beginning, I didn't give her anything. Now it's like, oh my gosh, Dad, I don't want the food to touch. I'm like, it's pasta. I, where do you want me to put the pasta sauce? Dad, you're supposed to cut it in triangles. I can't eat it. It's in squares. Dad, I can't eat that in a plate. I need a bowl. One time, no joke, she's like, Dad, I can't eat cereal with a spoon. I was like, what do you eat it with? She's like, a fork. I said, why? She's like, I don't want the milk. I'm like, then why did you have me pour it? One time I made her peanut butter just I was like, no, I like the way mommy makes it. That's what kids do. Kids are picky towards good food. And the point that Paul's trying to make is spiritual babies. They're picky towards good preaching too. Watch what he says. For anyone who says, I follow Paul, someone say Paul. And another says, I follow Apollos. Aren't you just acting like people of the world? After all, who's Apollos and who's Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted. Someone say planted the seeds in your heart, and Apollos watered it, but it was God. Someone say, but God. But God made it grow. Let me give you context to what Paul is trying to say here. Paul is this older, 65-year-old senior citizen. He's got his triple ARRP card. He's very theological. He's very, like, slow in his speech. Uh, The Bible even says that his sermons were kind of boring. Quote, unquote, his words were not eloquent. Apollos was like this young, fresh Instagram influencer, right? Like, he probably wore Air Jordans, probably had a clean fade. The guy preached fuego, fire, for those who don't speak Spanish. Like, he would light the room on fire, and people loved it the way he preached. And then imagine Paul would visit this church that he planted, and half the church is like, I don't like the way Paul preaches. And the other half is like, I don't like the way Apollos preaches. And it's like, what, you're, what Paul is saying is, when you talk like this, what you're saying is you're revealing you're spiritually immature in the same way that babies go, I don't like it in a plate, Daddy. I want it in a bowl. I don't like when you cut it in triangles. I want it in squares. Immature kids do that. Some of you in this room, you're spiritually immature because you're complaining about who's preaching God's word. Let me give you a perfect example of this. One of the reasons why we don't announce guest speakers anymore, because half the church doesn't show up, because we know. I don't like it when daddy makes it. I wrote it like this. Spiritual babies are too picky towards spiritual things and not picky enough towards worldly things. Let me give you another example of this. My wife, who is 10 times the pastor that I am. I'm a way better communicator. Maybe she's a way better pastor. She loves people really well. And for a long time, I didn't understand this paradigm. Because every time I lead a group, there'd be like maybe seven, ten guys. Every time she leads a group, it's like 20 people in the room. I'm like, you're paying someone. You're, this is a cheat code. What are you doing? You must be giving them back massages. 
Like, how are you doing this? And it wasn't just like one time. It's literally every time she leads a group, there's cars, like two-mile radius around my house. I'm like, I can't even go home. So how are you doing this? And what's sad, at the same time, as much as I know you love Pastor Yaz as much, as good as she is, there are other godly character girls in our church that struggle to fill their group because you only want it from mommy. You only want the food in a plate and not a bowl. And what you're showing when you only go to Pastor Yaz's group is that you're spiritually immature. And babies, they're picky about good food. And don't be picky about who gives you the word of God. Just be thankful that we preach God's word here. Amen? But my six-year-old, the one that wants to eat cereal with a fork, let me tell you, she eats things she should not eat. If, this has never happened, but if I left an M&M or a Snickers bar under her bed and left it there for 10 years, even if, it, like, ants ate half of it, even if it molded, I promise you, the moment my daughter would see it, she'd eat it. She wouldn't even have candy, Dad. And, and what she'd know, what my daughter would do, she would eat it and then tell me she ate it. It's like, dude, you have no discretion with what you're doing. Why do you eat things that are bad? Because that's what babies do. They have no description. And I wrote it down like this, and this is not a quote. Some of you are immature in that you're picky towards the word, but you're completely indiscriminate when you take ideologies from the world. Every hashtag, every, every, every like, social activism hashtag, love is love, the future is female, my body, my choice. None of those are found in the scriptures. You know what is found in the scripture? My body, his choice. The Bible says in Romans 12, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him. God is giving you that choice. Why would you want to offer God? Therefore, in view of God's mercy, after what God has done for you, after all that he's done for you, that God sent his son Jesus to become a man and died for you on a cross, because of that, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Christianity is not God arm wrestling you and him winning and then forcing you to do something. He gives you that choice. And maturity says, this is not my body. He Bought it with his blood. I'm offering it back to you, God. I'm offering it back to you. And, and spiritual babies, they're picky towards good things, and they're not picky towards bad things. And I, let me say what, what Paul wants us to do. It says like, like this. Test everything. Someone say test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Instead of going to the Bible and saying, oh my gosh, why does the Bible say that? Because you learned something on Instagram. What we should do is read the scriptures and then go to Instagram and be like, why are you saying that? Because my God says this. The, the order is different. We don't test everything in here. We test everything on, over there. Can I get water? I'm... No, the, the other water, honey. Just toss it. No, it's fine. I'm really thirsty, guys. Can we just admit this is weird? Right? This is weird, right? Can we show hands? This is weird. Men should not be drinking from baby bottles. Why? Because when babies act like babies, it's cute. But when adults act like babies, it's not cute. The thing I'm trying to point out to you is some of you, the only time you consume God's word is when I have to bottle feed it to you. And God wants to speak to you himself. He wants to talk to you because he's a, he's a personal God. I came out of Islam. You never spoke to God. You prayed to him. You served him. You lived in fear of him, but you never communicated with him. In Christianity, God wants a relationship. 
He wants to speak to you. That's the whole point of eating God's word daily so you can speak to your father daily. If I can say it boldly, mature Christians are at work weekly, at church weekly to receive God's words corporately. Not 1.7 times a month, by the way. Weekly. And mature Christians are in the word daily to receive from God personally. Some of you, you feel the conviction of sin. You're like, what do I do, Pastor? Super simple. Five minutes of worship, five minutes of Bible reading, five minutes of prayer. Let me tell you why the order is like this. Why do farmers have to plow the field before they throw the seed? Because if you throw the seed on top of the soil, it won't plant. The hardness of your heart needs to be plowed. You worship to prepare your heart for what God wants to say. It's like creating an atmosphere of faith. Why is I lift my eyes up to the Lord? Why? Because my help comes from the Lord. Worship prepares your heart. Number two, I said five minutes of Bible. I didn't say five hours. I didn't say five chapters or five books of the Bible. You don't need to over, too many Christians overstudy, get overwhelmed, and never do it again. You literally don't need to read more than a few verses. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. And then when, he's, when he's, you spent five minutes reading, spend those five minutes saying, God, how can I obey this in my life? How can I love my wife better because of what you showed me? How can I be a better employee because of what you showed me? Too often, we are overeducated above our obedience. We go, oh my gosh, Pastor, I want to go deep. Let's go deep in our obedience, not just our theology. Imagine for a moment my daughter came in the room. I'm like, honey. She's like, dad, I, I want, she, there's this candy I bought for myself. And literally every day for the last seven days, dad, I want to hide you. And she'll be like, don't tell mom. Please. And I, and I have to like, honey, don't kill me. I'm like, if you do all of your chores and I honor my wife and mom agrees, you can have a hide you. So my daughter this whole week has been working her tail off, doing her chores. But imagine for a moment, I went to my daughter and said, honey, I need you to clean your room. And she goes in her room, and an hour later comes back. Dad, I memorized what you told me. You said, go clean your room. I memorized it in the message. Go make your room awesome. I even memorized it in Greek. Go clean your room. Dad, I even signed up for a 12-week Bethmore Bible study on how to clean your room. But did you clean your room, honey? No. I'm just studying what it would look like if I actually clean my room. I wrote it down like this. The vast majority of Christians are educated way past their level of obedience. Way, way past. If you just obeyed what I taught last week, your life would be different. You don't need a new sermon this week. But you need a new sermon this week. Number two, participate in bold groups. Who's in a group? Raise your hand. Make some noise. Come on, yeah. Who, who would shout the house down that it's changed your life? Come on, amen. Two of you, thank God for you for making me look like an idiot. The, the whole point of groups is, is you get in relational proximity to other believers who can encourage you, who can pray for you. Why? Because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So TV show, I'm going to maybe reveal my age. I watched as a little kid growing up called Cheers. Anybody ever watch that TV show Cheers? Two of you, clearly you're born in the 80s. Everyone else is too young to understand. But there's this TV show, and there was this guy, never bought anything in this bar, because the whole show was in this bar, and he'd walk in, and the whole bar would yell, Norm! Norm! Because uh, we're in San Jose, it's, 
Jose or something. But he'd walk in, and it was a place where everyone knew your name. Listen, no one's going to shout your name in this room. You could sit in the same chair every Sunday for four or five straight weeks and sit next to someone new. This is not a place where, like, you're going to be relationally connected to people on a Sunday. You might make friends, but it's going to form intimate friendships. You're going to form accountability. Where? In groups. And there's this lie in our culture. Oh, my gosh, I, want to, I don't want to be part of that church. I want to be part of this church. And, and really, I, I left it blank because I want you to shout the answer. That church is too, what do we say, big. Everyone, every article, every Christianity Today article, oh, my gosh, that church is too big. This is like, like allergic reaction to mega churches. There's nothing wrong with big churches. There's nothing wrong with small churches. What's wrong is there are bad churches, and what's good is there are good churches. You can be big and good and small and good. And listen, I've seen big churches be bad and small churches be bad. It's not about size. It's about goodness. Let me tell you why that's so important. Peter, right after they spend 10 days in the upper room, he gets out of the prayer closet, the upper room, preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. That's so interesting for all the people, American Christians. Oh my gosh, I hate the mega church. You would hate Jesus' church. Because the very first church was a mega church. And look what the, the early church did. Every day they continued to meet in the, someone say temple courts. That's the public worship gathering. They broke bread in there. What's that word? Homes. So they met on Sunday in the large gathering, and then they met in small groups. Why? Because you need... It's powerful to worship God with a hundred or a few thousand other Christians. There is something that changes in the room. There is something that, that you may not feel like worshiping, but when you're with other Christians, like, man, I, I, my anxiety's gone. My peace is here. The presence of God fills a room. You need worship. Amen? Amen? But then you also need a place where when you walk in, everyone knows your name. That sometimes can't happen on a Sunday. It has to happen in a group. But let me tell you why that's so important. First Peter says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, someone say your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I'm not sure this is going to work. Please pray for me. It worked. So, these are Laker fans. In the background, we have a Golden State Warrior fan. Clearly, someone's bitter because we just won a championship and they're attacking us. And what I want to point out to you, this is what life looks like when you are in a group. Look what the enemy does. The enemy at the beginning of the video was in hiding, and this guy is in trouble. This guy is about to get jacked up. He's like, maybe I can get away. Oh, now there's two of them. And what looks bad gets worse, zero to 100, as they say, real quick. And maybe... 30 more seconds, this guy's in trouble, boom, he's done, and he goes down. But let me tell you, this guy's in a small group, and when his marriage was having troubles, he asked the guys in his group to pray for him. When his work was having issues, he prayed for the guys in his group to pray for him. And often you think that you're all alone in life, and you're not. First John 1 says, when you confess your sins to one another, when you confess your sins to God, you are forgiven. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, when you confess your sins to one another, you are healed. There is a healing, there's a freedom that can never happen alone. Boom, his group shows up. Boom, his group is there to save him and help him. That's what I want to point out to you. That's what life looks like when you're in a group. 
four quick things. Number one, cats are evil. That, that, that proves it. Number two, you have an enemy in hiding. You have an enemy in hiding at all times. Number three, I want to point this out. The enemy will isolate you before he devours you. People will drift from the community of faith before they drift from their faith. Let me say it another way. Before you drift from your faith, you'll, you'll, you'll drift away from other Christians first. Every time the number of Christians in your life becomes less and less, your faith will become less and less. And the enemy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. His goal is not to get you out of church. His goal is to get you out of the house of God forever. He wants to devour you. This is why you need a group to pray for you, to encourage you. One of my favorite stories to this day is there was a girl, woman in our church who was beginning to lose her eyesight. And I did not know till two or three weeks after the fact I'm like, oh my gosh, who's going to bring her groceries? Who's going to take, who's going to watch after her? And what I didn't even realize and didn't even know because no one was talking about it is that her group was already praying for her and bringing her groceries. That's the power of a group. It's like insurance. You don't call AAA after you get in a car accident. You have AAA before the accident so that when things happen, you can be protected. You cannot do life alone. If I can have everyone pull out this car, if you want to be a part of this church, my challenge to you is put your name, everyone. I'm already in a group. I need you to fill it out. Jose Dagoberto Sanchez de Cuatro, which means the fourth. Put your email address, put your phone number, and on the bottom says, I want to join a small group. There's too many of you are doing life alone. Too many of you just come on Sunday and notice the three things I said to do to be a mature Christian, eat God's word, participate in groups, and serve on a team. None of them have anything to do with Sunday. That's a given. Listen, when babies act like babies, it's cute. When adults act like babies, listen, bro, it is not cute. It is not cute. Final point. Serve on a team and give financially. Serve on a team and give. I can get the worship team to come up. There are three phases that my kids went through regarding their relationship with food. The first phase was, you feed me. My three-year-old, dad, dad, verbally abusive to me. I'm hungry. Second phase, I feed myself. My six-year-old, Sophia, she goes, dad, I want a snack. I'm like, oh, honey, go in the pantry and get it because my three-year-old's not tall enough, but my six-year-old is. It's awesome when kids can take care of themselves, amen? Number three is the third phase. As you mature, I feed others. Unfortunately, my wife's the only one in our house that can do that. I reheat food. I don't cook food. So I, I'm still in the second category. But what's so interesting about the third category, I wrote down like this. This is where you transition from everybody else feeding you to you feeding others. This is where you transition from just being a taker to a giver. Instead of just benefiting from the church, you move to building the church. Galatians chapter 5 says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Let me tell you what was going on in Galatians. Galatians was a super spiritual, very religious church. They're saying, if you want God to love you, if you want to follow God, you got to do A through Z. you got to do these 20 things, and then maybe you'll be super spiritual enough for God to love you. That's what you got to do. And Paul comes along and says, no, 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 no. The only thing, the only work of a Christian be accepted by God is to simply believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Anybody thankful for Jesus eliminating all this religion? Now we have a relationship back to the Father. But then Paul makes this point. 
Don't use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't be selfish. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. I remember the first time I came to church, I wondered why people were there an hour early serving. And why when I went home, people were still there helping tear down. I'm like, are they trying to do this to be loved by God? And I realized I was coming from a works-based mindset. I, I came to the Father wanting to earn His love. I thought I had to do things for Him to love me. Christianity is totally different. God loves you not when you're in church, but when you're in the club. God loves you even when you're not reading your Bible. God, the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, God loved us not when we were His friends, but we were His enemies. It's so different. It's so, in our world, we have to get praise and acclamation after we get a good report card. God says, I love you when we have the worst report card. And it shifts the motivation. I'm not serving because I'm trying to earn love. I'm serving because I already am. It's different. That's what God is asking. That's what mature Christians do. They serve in their church. And this is the point. I'm just going to be very honest. Half the room, the booty's going to go, because we're talking about money. Ready? Bring the whole tithe. Someone say whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Someone say my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be there will not be enough room to store it. Let me just very quickly clarify what the tithe is. The tithe is 10%. 10% of what? Your income, sale of a business, sale of a home, a bonus. Everything that you make, God says, bring a tithe. And so often, as a pastor for the last 10 years, people get so offended. People like get angry and they leave the church. And it's so funny because you go to Chick-fil-A, you go to Fogo de Chao, and they demand 18% tip and you don't say anything. If anything, have you ever been to a, a meal with a friend and he's a cheapskate and doesn't tip and you're like uncomfortable and you leave 20 bucks before you leave? Why? Because you feel this pressure to give that person honor. And what's so funny is that when God says, give me tip, like, oh my gosh. I wrote it down like this. A tip is something you do, something you give to someone who serves you. A tithe is totally different. It's something you give to God that symbolizes you serve him. The heart is different. And I love that the Bible says, bring the whole tithe to my house. It doesn't say, give to those kids, doesn't say give to the dogs, doesn't say give to that missionary, you tithe, and anything you want to do above and beyond that is called an offering, but the tithe, it belongs to the Lord, and in some translations, it doesn't even say bring the tithe, it says return the tithe, why, because it doesn't belong to me anymore, and it's our controlling nature, we want to tell God where we want to put it, and that's the whole point of the tithe, you're surrendering controls to God, 90% with you is better than 100% without you. And every, every year for the last 10 years, I always sit next to someone who's new to the faith, and they look at the numbers of a budget, and like, Pastor Alec, it does not make sense. Why would I do this? You're crazy to tithe. And in the same breath, I'll sit down with a Christian who's been tithing for 10 years and look at the same budget, which doesn't make sense, by the way. And they'll go, you are crazy not to tithe. Because it's a faith thing. It takes faith to believe that Jesus, God, died on a tree. How was the death of a man 2,000 years ago the key to your life? 
Think about that. You already have crazy faith. You believe a Jewish carpenter who never wrote a book, never went to war, never owned a house, never ran for politics, never shot a gun, is the savior of the world? You believe that, but you can't believe he wants 10%? Which is the crazier thing to believe? That a guy died on a tree for a cross or that he wants 10% because he wants to bless you more than you can handle? Mature believers, don't just pick mature Christians. Don't just pick the parts that they agree with. They take all of them. They take all of them. How to be mature? Regularly eat God's word. Participate in groups. And they serve on a team and they give financially. And the point I'm trying to make is if you do one of these three things, your faith will struggle. If you do two, you will limp through faith. And if you do all three, your life will change. And I've seen so many Christians, they'll do all three. And I go, oh, let me take a step back. And they don't realize that your faith is like riding a bicycle uphill. When you stop, you're going backwards. You don't just stay there, stagnant. The Apostle Paul ends chapter 3 like this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will be come manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives he will receive a reward what Paul's trying to say is everyone's building something everyone's building either their career either they're building their body or they're building a car or you're building a business or you're building a book you're building something the question It is not, are you building something? The question is, is what you're building going to last? Will it last into eternity? Will it last more than your lifetime? Will your kids be building that thing? And the only thing that Paul is trying to make this point, the only thing that follows us into heaven is not your fantasy football team. It's not your favorite soccer team. It's not your 401k I was in the hospital this last May with my father as he said goodbye to me. He did not ask for me to bring pictures of his old homes and businesses that he owned. He asked, you know what he asked for? Bring my grandchildren in the room. He wanted to see those that he loved the most. Why? Because only souls follow you into eternity. And the question is, are you building something that's going to last? Or are you building something for right now that in four years will be gone? God didn't just put significance, he put legacy in your spirit. Every person, you have a desire to be part of something bigger than yourself. And there's only one thing that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus is building. Even in crazy cities like Corinth, it is the local house of God. You will never waste your time building the house of God. I wrote the question down like this. What can I do to make sure there's more people in heaven? That's a question mature people bow your heads and close your eyes. God, I just pray. I know this is a hard message, God, but I believe that you've called us to preach it. God, I'm thankful for the words that you spoke through us to this church through 1 Corinthians 3. You tell us not to be mere infants, not to be worldly, but to be spiritual. You want us to grow up, God, to not be a baby. 
God, sometimes we hear messages like this and we get offended, we get angry. But God, remind us that Jesus, seven times, multiple times in the scriptures, he offended people and he was still loving. I pray, Jesus, for those in this room that they feel challenged to read their Bible every day. Encourage them, God, take that step of faith. I pray for those, God, on the fence of Christianity they've been doing life alone for so long let them find a group let them find their their tribe of buffalo that will protect them when the enemy comes to devour them I pray for those guys that have been using their freedom for themselves but they're going to roll up their sleeves and say I want to build something that's going to last I want to build something that my children can be a part of I want to build something that I want to see those in heaven that were affected by it God's the local church there are others of you, you have not been in church in a long time, you have, or maybe you have not been ever, and you're wondering, Pastor Ali, do I need to do those three things to be loved by God? And the answer is no. You don't need to do anything. You don't need to read. You don't need to serve. You don't need to give. You don't need to do anything. The work that you need to do is to simply believe. Simply believe that God, 2,000 years ago, left heaven and became a man that he lived a sinless and perfect life, that he died on a cross for your sin and my sin. He didn't come to give us a book. He didn't come to give us a religion. He came to pay our penalty of sin. And by believing in that, you believe you're forgiven. You believe that your sins are washed away. That's the message of Christianity, that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, the door is wide open. Everyone is welcome. At the same time, the door is narrow. That Jesus says, no one comes to the Father. No one can receive salvation except through me. Maybe that's you tonight. You say, man, I, I live a lifestyle very similar to Corinth. Crazy. Could God really love someone like me? Messy. Of course. And in a moment, I ask you to take your first step of faith by, by acknowledging you want to start a relationship with the living God. With every eye closed and every head bowed. If that's you and you want to start a relationship with Jesus, on the count of three would you just be willing to raise your hand? I would love to pray for you so you can pray this prayer to the living God because he's a person. One. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.